I'm TJ Manisterski, and this is my Coaching Project podcast, where I connect in leaders in search of breakthrough knowledge. We're continuing the Extreme Ownership Series with a great topic today of keeping things simple. Back first with uh, my partner in crime here in this creative pursuit, Gary Bowman. How are you, Gary? Wonderful. Wonderful to be back. And again, ready to rock, man. Loving the book. Let's go. Okay. And we're pumped. Two episodes in a row. Brad Flynn, assistant coach with Red Deer Rebels. Welcome back, Flinner. Hey, thanks for having me, TJ. Gary, really appreciate being on again. Cool. Okay, so G, take us away here. The chapter is called Simple, just like you said. And I'm going to keep it simple today from my perspective because I think there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about. But the story we're going to tell is how they established one of these command outposts. Uh, they call it Cop Falcon. It's in the book a lot, but I think it's a, it's a great example of the power of simplicity. So what has to happen is they need to infiltrate Ramadi. They need to establish a base within the neighborhoods of Ramadi so that they can create some foot traffic. That is their, their overall game plan, is to establish American coalition foot traffic in these war-torn neighborhoods to let the civilians know that we're here to support you and get these bad guys out of here. So to do that, they need to establish a base in the middle of the neighborhood. So Leif and his crew of just serious warriors, he's got a lot of people with him this time. He's got some support from the local Iraqis. He's got some Marine Naval guys with some air support. So basically their job is to take a building in the neighborhood, which they do. They go in under uh, you know, the cover of darkness, they take the building, no problem. They hold that building until the army can come through, which is not just a, a simple task, right? This place has these IEDs everywhere. So the army has to carefully navigate a road through the city so that the Army Corps of Engineers can bring the materials in required to build an outpost. So once Leif uh, and his guys kind of hold it down and the army gets there, they just hand over the fort to the army and let the Army Corps of Engineers come in and start to build. Their next mission is to find another building and provide overwatch. And of course, the enemy is going to engage, but these guys just continue to build. They literally place over 30,000 sandbags, 115 concrete barriers, and hundreds of yards of concertina wire, all under small arms fire. And what Jock and the guys say is, you know, basically each one of them was a legit soldier to a man. So it's not just the Navy SEALs that are running the show here. These are guys that are just literally humping sandbags around, but their job is just as important. So in reality, there's a lot that goes into all of that decision-making. As you guys know, you go scout another team and there's a lot that goes into your decision-making, but yet you need to simplify that message for your troops and the overarching uh, principle here is as a leader, it doesn't matter how well you feel you have presented the information or communicated in order. If your team doesn't get it, you have not kept things simple and you have failed. You must brief to ensure the lowest common denominator on the team understands. It is critical as well that the operating relationship facilitate the ability of frontline troops to ask questions that clarify when they do not understand the mission or key tasks. So again, I'm just going to keep it simple and let you guys roll with that because I think there's a lot there, but it's communication. It's basically, you know, moving from one thing to another, take the beach, take the building, give the building to the army, provide overwatch, and build this base so that we can establish coalition foot traffic in these neighborhoods. It's pretty simple, 
from the sounds of it, but very complex, I'm sure. Simple executes. Less is fast, more is slow. Hockey is simple. It's just not easy, right? These are the things that, that we hear, we talk about, and sometimes we don't always adhere to. Great examples, G. The example I have is early in my coaching career, I was an assistant coach at Fredonia State, which is just about 45 minutes southwest of Buffalo, New York. And I'm pre-scouting a game and watching Plattsburgh State on video. And they're a really good team at this point. And it took me a matter of five minutes. And I said to Coach Meredith, the head coach, I said, Coach, I know exactly what they're doing. Really simple. It, it, now it just come down to how do we stop it, right? Because their execution was so good. And there's a book called Game Changer by Fergus Connolly, which I love. And I know some of our listeners have read it. And if you have not, I highly recommend it. If there's a book that has fundamentally changed the way I look at certain aspects of leadership and coaching and player development, that's probably it. And one of the things that he says is that our goal of the game plan is to essentially execute our plan faster and better than our opponents know what, who know what we're going to do can stop it. So we have to assume that our opponents know what we're going to do, but we still have to execute it so well and so efficiently that they still can't stop it. And I think that's a powerful way of looking at it in terms of our preparation and the mindset it takes to execute uh, you know, under that fog of war when things get tough and in the game. So I guess I want to just throw those concepts back at you two and, and hear what you have to say. No, I think that especially when it comes down to keeping it, it's simple. And, and for me, I've had uh, a couple of people in my past that they would always use uh, a player is caught between two decisions. That's why he's playing slow. And, and then you have to go back and you, you reevaluate why is this player being caught between two decisions? Uh, to, to go back to your comment, uh, Gary, in terms of attacking and, and the 10,000-foot view of building the fort, um, when I was thinking about that and listening to you speak and when I read it in the book, similar to hockey. At the end of the day, you need the puck. You attack with the puck. You get an opportunity. You have to get the puck back or you have to defend your end. It's pretty simple game when we look at it, but we make it very complicated by applying all the systems to what we do once we have the puck and for from my perspective and I know talking with TJ before um, the game's pretty simple you either have to make decisions with the puck uh, on offense you need to make decisions to support the puck on offense or you're on defense and you're making decisions at the puck or away from the puck so you're covering somebody that has the puck or you're covering people away from the puck when you want to get simple about it, it's a pretty basic game to teach and to learn. Um, but the more that we, the more we know, the, the more we want to uh, make it more complicated. So simple is effective. And, and TJ mentioned that earlier. And I find that that's very, very true when we apply it to hockey and, and probably life in general as well. I guess, yeah, that's kind of where I live too. I mean, I don't necessarily coach X's and O's. Um, a lot of times I'm coaching the individual and uh, it's simplicity is imperative because I've spent a lot of my time investing in understanding things at a very granular level. 
And I oftentimes find that it really is counterproductive for me to try to explain that. If I want this simple kind of outcome, I need to just find simple ways to communicate that to the individual as opposed to me just trying to maybe convince them how smart I am or, or why they should listen to me. I just need to find that, that common ground and kind of move forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, we haven't taught until they've learned, right? So at the end of the day, that's what we're, we've got to create a scenario where we are teaching the game. There is some complexities, but how can we do it in a way that's understood and it's fast? And I think we can do that uh, with language sometimes. So give you an example from like, let's say the penalty kill. Plinner, I don't know if you've heard this term, rodeo, uh, for when, yeah. So Red Deer, Alberta, I'm surprised you haven't heard, you guys are using the term rodeo. So uh, you know, there's like trigger points. There's, so there's a pressure moment. So loose puck, puck on the wall, pups, you know, pucks bobbling, backs turned. That's when teams are going to bring, bring pressure typically on the penalty kill. Well, I came across this term rodeo and I can't recall if it's seven seconds or eight seconds. You might know. Uh, eight seconds. Eight seconds. You got to stay on the bull for eight seconds or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, or the horse, whatever, some, some animal. Uh, but the, the point is the, the mindset is eight seconds of all pressure. It is rodeo time, right? So yes, there's some detail to how we want to bring that pressure, but I just think having a term like rodeo uh, is so, is, is so helpful. Another term that, that I stole from somebody else is TNT, right? Which is talk now time. Like there's so many nuances to the game decisions that need to be made communication that has to happen and, and split second uh, judgment calls that you can just say hey guys this is tnt and they know exactly what you mean oh this is talk now time like there are moments there absolutely has to be some communication it could be you know the tracker is coming back on a puck carrier you got a d-man playing with a tight gap and who's going to take him right and who's got him so that's tnt time right so there, there's countless examples of that. So I think a lot of times having a system for language. So when you say one word or a phrase, it just means so much to the group. Once they've, once you've put in the, I guess the time to teach what that, all those pieces mean. I, I totally agree with that. I, and honestly, uh, I never heard the rodeo phrase before, but it makes total sense, right? It's just, it's just chaos. It's, it's intense. It's, it's just do what it takes to get the job done under extreme pressure for eight seconds, almost like staying on the bowl. You, you just got to stay on, man. And, and hopefully you do enough uh, technically correct to gain points to win. But if you have a flawless ride for the first two seconds, but you're bucked off the bowl, you're disqualified anyway. So it doesn't really matter, right? So at the end of the day, your first objective if we're talking about keeping it simple, is staying on the bull. You can't get any points without if you're not on the bull. And, and you can apply that to the penalty kill in, in a pressure situation, right? So first objective, you're keeping pucks out of the net by heavy, heavy pressure. Now you can slow it down. For me, um, I, I love using terminology like that with the team and language and verbiage. I have been on teams in the past that I think it makes me aware of going overboard and the example that i have is uh i coached with a with a coach for a little bit um he's no longer a coach but he was adamant that anytime uh you had a 
uh, weak side winger in the defensive zone or a tracker or whatever, he referred to them as State Farm because they're your insurance player. So most guys would, would laugh about it at first, right? Like State Farm, like, yeah, it's easy to remember. But what I noticed was he'd be on the bench yelling and screaming about State Farm, State Farm. And you know what? Uh, 16 players on the bench that we had all knew what he was talking about because he was there since training camp. The two guys that we brought in, they're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? State Farm insurance for mid-game. And then they would kind of chuckle to themselves. Yes, they would get it as we went. But it kind of always sat in my craw that although it was simple to everybody in the room, somebody new coming in has to take the time to learn that and then think of, not have to think about it to apply it. And sometimes when you get a little overcomplicated or you have a lot of verbiage like that that's new to your team, like I, I love the rodeo thing. Um, but if you're, you're making it very direct, I think there could be some miscommunication by trying to be over simple as well. I don't know if, if that's counterproductive to our conversation or not, but it, it is just something that I notice. Like, I think you got to be con conjugant of uh, going too simplified with it as well. So, gee, in your world, in the performance coaching, you talk about complicated. I mean, there's so much going on inside of our bodies. And, and you as the coach, as, as the expert, really know all the ins and outs. But your, your athletes don't need to know all of that. But there's some simple things that they need to know. And one thing you mentioned back in one of our earlier episodes, and it's always stuck with me, I'd love to hear you talk about it, is notice a name. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Because I think I love the alliteration to it. It's simple, and I think it can really help an athlete. Yeah, yeah, I have to give credit. I learned that from a good Canadian company, Precision Nutrition. Um, and it's just something that we use with all of our clients to help them make the connection right? Because I can sit there and shake the pom-poms when they do something great. I can kind of get on them when, when something's not going right, but there's nothing more powerful than them connecting the dots. So let's say, for example, you know, there's a lot of times in reality that athletes underfuel. You wouldn't think it, but in reality, they just don't eat enough. And let's say I'm having a conversation with the guy and I'm like, hey man, let's just commit to X, Y, or Z, you know, can you just eat this much more per week? And all of a sudden, maybe he or she feels a little healthier. As opposed to me patting them on the back, I say, notice a name, right? Notice, what did we do? Or, or notice, excuse me, what do you feel? Man, I feel actually like I have more energy at the end of practice. Well, let's name whatever it was that we changed that created that essentially outcome or, or desired uh, result so that they can start to put that into their pocket as maybe that's their new habit now, or, or they recognize that, yeah, like I can control my long-term energy output by eating better. Or, or again, I, I have to then elaborate. It gives me a window now. If they've made that connection, my relationship can go a little bit deeper, right? There's always like these breakthrough moments when you're working with athletes or clients or you just need them to maybe get a concept on a greater level. Like maybe let's talk about rodeo. Maybe it's a Swedish kid, right? And he's like, rodeo, right? <laughs> and maybe you show him a video of Lane Frost just rocking a bull at Cheyenne Frontier Days or maybe, you know, a Stampede. And now he gets it. Well, now your relationship can go to a little deeper level. So now you can say, okay, rodeo means 
get it for eight seconds. So for me, it can mean, okay, now you've made the connection between fueling your body and the result of energy. Now let's talk a little bit more about that. But to keep it simple, I need those breakthrough moments. And notice and name gives me a platform for them to make the connection. I'm now not talking at them about the importance of whatever that particular topic is. And we can take our relationship now a little bit deeper. So it's just a simple phrase, like you said, but it, it elicits so much power and it opens the door for greater conversation. So I think it's honestly rooted, and I know you talk about this stuff sometimes too, but I think it's rooted in, um, you know, some of just like basic psychology, you know, just trying to really help people simply connect uh, concepts in their mind, you know, like motivational interviewing, or there's these other kind of, you know, bigger subtopics, but that's one I find to be helpful in this vein of, man, you got to keep it simple, but yet you got to get deep at some point. And Gary, like just, just to jump off that and sticking with the rodeo theme, like as you were speaking there, I was just applying it to areas that I've seen in the past where, where it's very successful. And I just go back and TJ being in the, in the mass area, think about when the Red Sox won their first world series. Like I was a big Johnny Damon fan. I'm a huge Red Sox fan, but what was their theme? It was cowboy up. And as soon as you think of that, you don't have to go up to a teammate. You don't have to go up to a player and tell them you got to play harder. You got to dig deep. You got to fight through some adversity here. You just have to say cowboy up and it brings all of that together. And those athletes on the Red Sox knew that was their identity. And that was a simple form of bringing all of that stuff together in one quick little phrase that caught on like wildfire and they end up going and winning a world series and breaking a huge curse. But to me, um, it's very, very powerful message inside of the locker room for what it stands for. And it's, it's a lot easier to have to sit or uh, tough conversations with people. Because I think if, if you say that to a teammate or a player, you just look at them and you kind of give them the old, Hey, time to cowboy up. It'll hit home with their conscience and they'll know what you're talking about without having to attack anybody as well just with a simple phrase that's a great point i think the other area where coaches can get in the way is in the preparation for games and pre-scouting and developing a game plan sometimes i think the biggest art to coaching is just not doing anything detrimental <laughs> you know like just don't do anything that makes things worse and uh, because sometimes you can and a lot of it has to do with overcomplicating that process of preparing for a game. So the typical process, depending on, well, for everybody really is, okay, you have coaches, you know, we will we'll watch our opponent's video. We'll try and figure out what's important. And then we need to communicate a message to our team that hopefully is giving us the best chance to win. And depending on your league and your environment, that, that can take, that's either, you know, condensed, like in junior and pro, a lot of times you got quick turnarounds or three and threes against different opponents and things like that. Or in college, we have a much uh, more regimented routine of a Monday through Thursday preparation. In our, in my league, we play the same team Friday and Saturday. So you're preparing for one team. So you have a chance to build that message throughout the week, which is really helpful. You know, I just think that, often we overcomplicate that that uh that message and one thing that 
Flinner, I know you heard uh, Spiros Anastas, who's the head coach of the Brampton Beast and the ECHL, talk about his pre-scouts. And he just talks about having game changers. So rather than go through this real extensive pre-scout where you're covering every facet of the game, he boils it all down to what are the game changers, like the two, three things that he feels are going to make the most impact on the game. Uh, Flinner, what have you seen or what sort of things do, do you guys do in Red Deer along those lines? I think a lot of times as coaches, we're so involved in our own team, in our own plan, that we forget that the, just like in the book, the enemy has a decision in it too, right? They play a part. And depending on what level you're at, there's a very good chance that the other team and the other coaching staff uh, are high level coaches as well. So they're going to, they're trying to win the game too. Um, just because we do it perfectly doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a walk in the park. Uh, when it comes to our pre-scouts, we're very uh, simplistic. We're, we're looking at areas where we can uh, spotlight our strengths and hope to uh, discourage our weaknesses um, by sheltering them, I guess. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in a phrase that I heard. Uh, basically, it says, momentum's an invisible force. When you have it, you got to keep doing what you're doing. When you don't have it, simplify. I think for teams, the simpler your structure is, your pre-scout, the more adaptive you can be. Because just like in the book, you don't lose that uh, communication and it doesn't get overcomplicated. So you can adapt quicker, but once you start getting in a rut, it's very easy to get back to your foundation, to your basic level that's very simple and gain momentum back, get everybody back in sync as quickly as possible on the ice. Uh, so when we do our pre-scouts, that's a big focus for us is how simple can we keep it that when it does get bad, we can get it back to basically ground zero where everybody knows, hey, A, B, and C, Let's get everybody on the same page and let's get that momentum back. So that's what we look for in our pre-scouts or that's what I look for when I'm pre-scouting another team. How can we use our system to quickly get back to, to ground zero when it goes bad so everybody can be on the same page? It's that easy or it's that simple. I should say not easy. Absolutely not easy, but that's simple. Uh, and once we get back there, now we can start rebuilding inside of the game. And I think you can apply that as well to your season. Uh, when you go through your little lulls, what is your team doing that might be a little bit more complicated than your original plan to start? And can you bring it back a step and simplify, get everybody's momentum going in the right direction to get out of that slump? I think the, the real power to that is when your team can start that process on their own. And I want to tie in G's point about notice and name. Like, what a great tool we can use. We can steal Gary's tool from the gym and apply it to our team. So you mentioned momentum. When you have it, you've got to keep doing what you're doing. So the other thing that happens, right, we go into the dressing room after the, in between periods and we go in there and oftentimes you'll see coaches will lay out way too much information that they're, they're not even hearing you at that point, honestly, right? So you ought to give one or two pieces of information and that's it. What about engaging them in a dialogue? Like notice and name. Do, do we have momentum? Yes. So we've noticed we have momentum. Okay. Why do you think we have momentum? Let's look at the things and, and, and take, allow the players to notice and name what's going on or, Hey, clearly that's not going well. We're, we were outshot 12 to two in the first period. 
notice and name that situation and and then build from there and involve them in that in that in that uh, dialogue I think could be incredible I mean that's exactly how it how it works in reality is you know I don't know the the neurology of it of it if you will but there's something to be said for making a thought into a, a word or a sentence that comes out your mouth right we all have these fleeting thoughts but if you're willing to open your mouth and say that i think that there's more power to that whether that's owning a mistake whether that's highlighting some success i think that's an interesting concept and, and maybe that would be a way to get the players engaged and, and make that second step because ownership does it does take some courage right and maybe a, one of your guys who is potentially underperforming has the courage to say one of those things that's not going right, maybe as a, as a, a personal approach to his game, but, or also as a way to get the team kind of going. Um, and I was kind of wondering, actually, this concept of lowest common denominator that, that Jocko uses, is that a thing for you guys at your various levels? You know, I know you're not necessarily at the same level, but you're still dealing with very good hockey players. So when you were creating this game plan, is there this, this concept where you need to, to think of the lowest common denominator or are you just trying to, to boost up your bottom line constantly so that there is no lowest common denominator? What's kind of the approach there for you guys? I guess for me, you're always going to have a lowest common denominator. Even as the bottom gets better and better, there's still going to be a bottom. However, there was a time when I would do that, dumb down the message, so to speak. I don't think that was very effective. I think that you're better off trying to teach the smartest kid in the class. And that doesn't mean overcomplicate it. It still needs to be simple. But in terms of your expectations of their preparation, and you can't be just focused on that lowest common denominator. But I do think there's strategies you can do to get everybody on the same page and bring everybody along like this notice and name like that's I think we're doing similar things without that without as intentional as, as having that title which I am going to use but I'll give you an example so there was a there we had a conversation as a team where all this argument in hockey is like the forwards blaming the D for something the D blaming the forwards for something usually the forwards aren't back checking usually the D aren't aren't passing the puck quick enough right so um and we had a really open conversation one time, a lot of notice and name going on in retrospect. The guard D were saying, yeah, well, yeah, we could probably move it, move the puck quicker, but you know what? Sometimes we don't think you really actually want the puck. Sometimes we passed the puck and you didn't even try to get it, but you lifted your stick or whatever and really calling them out. And then the forwards like, you know, so it's going back and forth and we've all, we've all heard that. And then another one that came out of it was really interesting was the forwards are saying, Hey, because I, as the coach, was saying we, we really need to be getting more net front presence when, when we have point shots. So I had this, this dialogue, and this is why it's so powerful to include the players, because they have great observations. And our captain said, yeah, but I'm never quite sure when they're going to shoot. I don't know when they're going to shoot. So we had then had to go through, okay, well, how do we make that a little more predictable? And we, we put that into our offensive zone play. So... Um, Sorry, G, I kind of went all over the place on that question, but those are the things I thought about. No, I, uh, yeah, 
I can understand that and applying it to the simplicity of, of the meeting, um, especially, like you said, you always have that conversation between the two, the two ends of the bench. Uh, and it's funny because from the, the defense's perspective, I don't typically look at the pass that's being made to the forward uh, when it's a, not on the, on the money. I'm looking to see, did the forward give enough timing? Did they open up correctly? What were the elements or what was the process before the prize? The prize is the pass. What was the process that went into it? And it's very easy to jump those over. But going back to, to you, Gary, like when we talk about simplicity, what I thought was also very powerful was at the end of that little, of the exchange when he's, when uh, I think it was Jocko or Leaf is talking to the, doesn't say a word, sorry, he doesn't say a word, he wasn't talking, but when the troops came back in and it was just that simple head nod of approval for a job well done. And the simple head nod back, it's not the minor hockey coach running over and patting him on the back and jumping up and down, or even myself when a guy comes off, tell him what a great play he made or good pass. It's just a simple head nod. But it, that just told me the expectations were so simple you didn't even have to say anything because you're both on the same page because it's at a lower level. It's not so complicated that you have to even explain what you're praising him for. You just got to look at him and you give him the little nod. He knows what he did, right? He gives the nod back and he just says, I appreciate it. And that's it without having to even say a word. So to me, that was very impressive that they could get it to a simplified place that a word doesn't even have to be spoken. Now they're on to the next mission. They're on to the next thing. And uh, I learned that a lot from Brent Sutter. And, and he's my head coach. He's my boss. He's somebody that I really look up to. Very, very rarely does he come to our end of the bench or to the defenseman's end of the bench and give tons of feedback. He gives feedback when it's necessary for improvement. Um, but a lot of times he just comes down. He gives the player a look and a nod. And there's nothing really over the top, but to the player, and I've talked to players about it, he might as well have walked up and handed him a thousand dollar bill because that just meant the word to him. You know what I mean? He's just like, wow, this is, I, Hey, he's happy. That's good. Let's keep going. But that's our commander in chief knowing that he just, he gets to the players that way. You know what? It, so I, I get that phrase of it and that, that style. And, uh, for me, I was always the guy that would jump up and down and want to make sure they knew I was happy with them. When in reality, they're already on their next mission because they have another shift that they're preparing for. They just need that little reaffirm action. Um, and when you have a simple message, it doesn't get clouded, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think that we would all agree that, you know, some of the art and beauty of coaching is is taking those uber complex subjects and topics that really keep us so engaged and boiling them down to these simple messages and seeing the fruition of that through the the players accepting a nod and appreciating it like a thousand dollar bill like you said i think obviously you guys can't sell yourself short in the hours that go into the reality of the game plan at the ten thousand foot view but the beauty of it 
is in this this simple message and i think again kudos to you guys you know it's been great chatting with you about this stuff flinter uh from a different perspective and then tj you know obviously with the college kids but you know i think that that can't get lost in this message is that to simplify the message someone has to dig deep into the weeds and really you know love that and then which is why we all do what we do so i i just think that that can't go uh without being said you know in today's conversation that there is a lot of work behind the scenes to make it simple and make it work you know and and again i know we all secretly pump our fist when that happens but it is the players who kind of deliver on that message so it's a cool uh, relationship to have gary i couldn't have summarized it any better than that way to wrap it up guys tons of fun can't wait to do it again. Thanks a lot, TJ. Thanks a lot, Gary, man. I, I love coming on, listening to you guys and getting uh, the sneak peek at the episode before it's released so I can already start uh, figuring out how to be better just from listening to you two. So I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's been a blast. All right. Thanks, boys.